This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. In front, point, score! Point! Beautiful! Up and over Hedobin! Power play goal for the Lightning, it's 1-0. Center point, Hedman. Out on right, Palat, left circle, center point, Hedman. Right circle, Kutrop. Cross ice, Palat, shoot, score! Open net for Palat! Incredible puck movement by the Lightning, it's 2-0. Two power play goals. Back at the right point, Shattenkirk. Shoot, score! Quick little shot from Shattenkirk. Pavelski wins the draw. He's going to high slide. Kleinberg shoots. Block. Halorn gets it. It is over. The Stanley Cup Finals tied at one. It's a beautiful thing. It's even more beautiful that we have a game tonight, and hopefully the Lightning go up two games to one. Game three coming at you right here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli along with Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is our producer. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio will be joining us in our next segment. Always love talking hockey with Scotty. We'll ask how things are going for him and covering the playoffs in this type of atmosphere and what to expect next year. So that's all on the table. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Dave, a lot to get to today. Good to be with you again. And I was listening to Rick Bonus yesterday during his press conference. I thought he said something pretty interesting, and it might explain why we've seen this series, at least through the first two games, be so physical. And they talked about life in the bubble. Now, if you remember, Rick Bonus, this was probably, I want to say, three or four weeks ago, came out and, and talked about how life in the bubble is harder than many people can imagine and into the first round i remember it was before they got into the colorado series okay so that so you have a great memory so that's well i just remember thinking that the stars if that was weighing on them they were going to need to find a way to navigate through it because they were facing colorado that's that's the context that that i remember that with because colorado was really rolling they were early in the playoffs well, and I'm glad you, you gave me some context there because yesterday, and I, I'm sure you heard the same thing, somebody asked him about the series and how chippy it's been and whether or not being in the bubble has made guys a little more chippy. And, you know, he's pretty honest. And this is a guy who still has an interim label on him. I was talking to Matthew DeFranks the other day, and he basically said, oh, if he wants to come back, he can. But I don't know, a guy who's been – Coaching for 50 years, who knows if he wants to come back. But here he is in this situation being pretty blunt. And he's like, look, guys, are they can't blow off steam. It's not like they can go hit some golf balls or go have dinner with their wife to kind of calm down and take their mind off the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, everybody's different. And maybe he was just generalizing. But he goes, yeah, guys are kind of bottled up. There, there was more, you know, guys are a little more testy. And I think we expected... Dallas to be testy with Tampa Bay. I think any team that can within reason is going to try and take some shots at the Lightning because of their ski, their speed and their skill. But I do think through two games, it has been very chippy when you factor in there is no crowd involved. And this is all, I think, legitimate, not made up uh, hatred between the two teams that's gotten to this point. And I just thought it was an interesting perspective that, you know, look, guys just might be irritable. They haven't seen their family in a while. They're in this situation where they basically can't do anything else except play hockey. And, yeah, 
if uh, you see some extra stuff, especially after the whistle, you can kind of understand it. Did that make sense to you when, when he talked about that yesterday? I found that kind of fascinating. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And there are other elements to it that also would further his argument. Like, it has been a sacrifice for all of the players who are playing in the Stanley Cup final. It's clear. Even if you don't have a wife and kids, I mean, even for the guys who are single, you're still quarantined, basically, right? Even if you're not seeing your significant other, if you have kids, whatever. And you've been doing this now for two months, and you are so close to the end. And you committed to this because you want to win the Stanley Cup. You wanted a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And now you're so close. <laughs> and whichever team loses this final, it is going to be extremely bitter because they went through all of this. As great of an experience as it's been for both of these franchises, they won some dramatic games, they've won close series. They've had a lot more highs than lows, or at least more highs than lows to this point. To get this close after making this significant of a sacrifice and losing would be an extremely bitter pill. And I think they're aware of that, too. At least I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, that I know it. I don't know it, and, and I think it, it may not be true, but my hunch is that it is true, that not only to Bones' point, do they not have a chance to let off steam? They understand what it would feel like the prospect maybe of, of not getting to the finish line here. And, you know, they're fighting even harder to try and, to try and get across the finish line by fighting. I don't mean dropping the gloves, but battling, battling even harder to ensure that they made this commitment to come into the bubble and, and they are going to be able to reach their goal. And then the other thing I'll add is, I don't know if you saw it, Greg, Emily Kaplan, who writes for ESPN, did a story yesterday on life in the bubble. She talked to nine players, and I'm presuming these nine players are all on teams that have, have since been eliminated. But it was it was an anonymous um, – they weren't anonymous with her, but it was it, they, the players were not named – I think they had five from the Western Conference and four from the Eastern Conference. And it was a very frank, open discussion about kind of life in the bubble and the challenges that they went through. And I remember the one part that kind of ties into what you brought up, the notion of riding the elevator with a player who is in a series against your team. And maybe you had some kind of altercation with the player the night before, and now you're riding the elevator like to, to go to the lobby or something. And just how surreal and, and, and weird and unique to hockey this is. And I think the player said, you know, we just don't have that in hockey, maybe in other sports, but it's kind of like you try not to make eye contact. And like even if it's a player that you know well yeah. – on the other team, or, or maybe you have a friend on the other team and you see that person, you're like, should I, should I kind of nod? Like they didn't really know how to act. But I think there's that dynamic too, that there is a barrier that I think the teams are putting up, even though they're sharing space at the hotel that is creating 
animosity, if that's the right way of putting it. I don't think they're expressing animosity when they're riding the elevator, but you know what I'm saying? Right, like sure. you have that, you have that social distance, which is an interesting term in this day and yes. age, even though you know, you're around the other team and, and maybe that adds to it as well. But I'd recommend that the fans, if they have a chance to, to see that article, it was not, it was not subscription based. It was, it was open to anybody who, who wants to read it. And it was, it was very enlightening and interesting, and I covered a variety of different topics of life in the bubble from, you know, where they got food to how safe they felt and they did feel safe to kind of mingling with other players, particularly early, and then it became much less so that as as they got out of the play-in round, out of the round robin, out of the exhibition, and actually into series. So it was a very interesting article, but you you brought up the point about kind of the intensity in this series, and I think that 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 article just furthers that point why we've seen that in the first two games of the Stanley Cup Final. It's fascinating because we also talked to Chris Johnson from Sportsnet about is this something next year the league may do with teams, you know, whether it's on the East Coast or Canadian teams, maybe being in a bubble and you know trying to navigate. Uh, their way through the season in some capacity like what we're seeing right now. A lot of logistics, obviously, that need to be ironed out. I, I wanted to tie in uh, another point that I've been reading a bit about Twitter again. You know how I feel about Twitter, Dave. I think it's basically 1% of the population out there that, that likes to be vocal. But it's what we have to work with. So there are some people out there that have talked about how physical the stars have been and how... They are just punishing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they don't know if the Lightning can withstand a seven-game series against a team like Dallas, who just wants to bludgeon them every single night. That's their opinion. They're, they're allowed to do that, and that's fine. What I find interesting, though, through two games, the, the Lightning star players, I think, have the edge so far. And I know I don't want to make it too simplistic when I evaluate what's happened so far through two games. But the Stars have tried to be physical, for sure. But I think Tampa Bay, particularly obviously in Game 2, their Stars were a little bit of the difference. And there was an interesting article today on NHL.com, and it's been well documented. Tyler Sagan struggles for Dallas. Got off to a really good start in the playoffs, but has really struggled to fill the net recently. And I think it goes back to the question, can you win a championship without your dynamic and your star players having more of an impact than less than an impact? So in a seven-game series, maybe your star players, they could go off for one game, uh, but for the rest of the series, they're kind of held in check. Is that enough? Now, you can say it depends on what your team, how your team is built. Is it built from the back end up? Is it built with a great defensive system? Maybe you don't need your star players to contribute as much offensively. But, I, you know, I look at the Lightning, and, yeah, they're deep. And I think they could probably win a couple of games if Point and Kucherov and Palat and Hedman and Vasilevsky, you know, weren't at their best. But I don't think they can win a championship without those guys making an impact more times than not in this series. And I, I think, to be fair, I don't think the Stars can either. And 
there's a lot of pressure on Tyler Sagan specifically, and I think so more so because, Dave, Dallas has less stars than Tampa Bay, so they need to probably get as much out of him uh, that they can, more so, because there aren't as many options. But if Radulov and Ben and Sagan don't have the type of impact that Rick Bonus needs from his top unit, I think it's going to be very hard for them to win, just like I would say the same thing for Tampa Bay. What do you make of, you know, A, kind of what you've seen through two games and that notion that your stars have to be better on most occasions than um, on less occasions if they're going to win a Stanley Cup? Well, let me touch on this notion of the physical play first. I think the Lightning have given as good as they've gotten. And you can just ask Blake Como, right, who had to leave the game in game two after a thunderous, clean, but thunderous open ice hit from Ryan McDonough. Did Kucherov take a lot of punishment in game two? He did, but it didn't seem to affect him, in fact, negatively. In fact, if anything, it affected him in a positive way for the Lightning and that he, he was fantastic in that game. So that sort of play may continue when we had Brian Burns on yesterday. He felt that it wouldn't, that it couldn't. It may, but I will say this. The officials have called some penalties related to physical play, physical altercations. Lightning actually got the short end of that to an extent in game two. Yanni Gord got a post-whistle penalty, and Maroon got a penalty for, for you know interference on the goalie, which, I mean, we can argue whether that was warranted or not based on where Hudobin was and whether it had you know, a tangible impact. Like I said yesterday, had a goal been scored, that would have been taken away for for goalie yeah. interference for, for, you know, not letting the goalie play his position. But I didn't feel that Maroon ran into the goalie in the blue paint where you would say, yeah, that's a penalty. There was contact, but Maroon has as much right to that ice outside the blue paint as Hudobin does. But that's an argument for another day. My My point is that You can try and push the envelope, but depending on how a game is going, how the officials are calling it, and we've seen it so far in the final that that it will get called and can get called, the Stars may put themselves short. And if the Lightning have the kind of success on the power play in Game 2 moving forward in the series, and again, there's no guarantee that they will because the Stars may make an adjustment. And Cooper was asked about that yesterday. Really interesting question about... You know, do you have to constantly tinker with your special teams in this cat and mouse game in a playoff series? As Which is what you brought up yesterday. Season? You talked was, about that yesterday. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. He was yeah. asked the question. But let's presume that the Lightning are, are somewhat efficient on the power play moving forward. And they're not going to be stuck in an 0 for 14 skid over four games like they were heading into game two. The Stars are going to have to pick their spots. I mean, they can't just try and approach every game like they're putting their toe right up to the line and maybe over that line a little bit if they are going to get called for penalties and if the Lightning are going to make them pay on the power play. So I think it's an open question as to what we will see moving forward in the series, whether the teams will be able to keep it up or if they want to keep it up for fear of being shorthanded. 
Now, your other point about the stars, the star stars, <laughs> there is what we have had happen to this point and then what is going to happen moving forward. It is true that Tyler Sagan, compared to how he normally plays, has not had an overly productive playoff. But he's gotten chances in the first two games. Happy, uh, <laughs> I almost said happy Bulin. I was confusing Vasilevsky and Hudobin. Too many, yeah. too many Russian goalies. Right. <laughs> I'm going back to 04. <laughs> Vasilevsky made an incredible save on Sagan in game one. Maybe his best save in game one. And a lot of the dangerous stars chances that they got on the power play in game two and in game one went through Sagan. So he's getting some looks, particularly on the power play. That may continue. And if so, he may end up getting rewarded and, and getting some goals and points. But to this point, I think your general takeaway is correct, that it's hard to, to win a Stanley Cup. It's hard to go deep in the playoffs. You need depth scoring, but you also need your, your stars to be your stars. So Sagan maybe has not been at the level that he would like, but Jamie Benn's having a terrific playoff. Radulov has provided the Stars with enormous key goals at critical times, including that that winner in overtime in Game 3 against Vegas. And Haskinen and Klingberg have been outstanding this playoff year. So I guess I would be more on board with it if we were to say, you know, Sagan's not producing at the clip that he would like. Neither is Ben. Neither is Haskinen. Neither is Klingberg. Neither is Radulov. But if that were the case, they probably wouldn't be in the Stanley Cup final. So I guess I would amend it and say, can you win a Stanley Cup if one of your stars is not going like he likes? Yeah. Yeah, you can if if a lot of the other top players are. And I think to this point, and I didn't even mention Pavelski who's having a whale of a playoff. He's got he 10 goals. He's tied he with Braden Point and Horvat, who scored 10 for Vancouver before the Canucks got eliminated. They're tied for the league lead. So the Stars are getting it from, from a variety of sources, even if Sagan has, what, two goals so far in this playoff year. And and I think that if if you're looking for signs that, that he may score more, I think he has been dangerous so far in the Stanley Cup final, especially in the power play. We shall see how that plays out from here on out. I don't intend to rhyme, but it came out that way and whatever. Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio is up next at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. Back with Scott on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. So glad you're with us, getting you set for Game 3 tonight, which you can hear on Lightning Power Play. I'll have the pregame show for you starting at 7.30. My partner doing this show will have the game call along with the Hall of Famer Phil Esposito. That would be Dave Mishkin. Steve Versnick is producing, and uh, obviously a big game for both teams. Joining us right now, a good friend of the program from Sirius XM NHL Radio. He's joined us a lot before, and we always enjoy his analysis. That would be Scott Lachlan. Scotty, great to be with you, and you're talking hockey every day like us. What's that been like for you during these unusual times? We've got hockey, albeit a little different, especially this time of year. 
Yeah, it really is strange, Greg, when you look at it. I mean, nobody expected late September, early October we'd be talking about going into an off season, but we could be there as early as, you know, Saturday night. Uh, if the next three games and four nights kind of play out for one team more so than the other, that's kind of what we're facing. And there's a lot going on, obviously, and we're not sure what the draft's going to hold. We we don't know what free agency's going to hold. I think what we do assume is that teams are going to be making a whole lot of moves in a very short period of time. Uh, then you start to wonder, when do we start up for next season? Can they, in fact, get the full 82 games in? Is the Canadian border going to be open? Will they have to go to, to, to Canadian teams playing a Canadianized schedule and maybe some bubbles down in the United States? Uh, just so much uncertainty at this point, but uh, you're right, Greg. I mean, it does seem very, very strange to be talking about what we've seen, what we're going to see here in the coming weeks. Scott, we do want to get into with you the picture moving forward, but I'm curious, looking back <laughs> to this point, what have your thoughts been on the restart, on the tournament, leading up to the first two games now in the Stanley Cup final? I've been amazed, Dave, quite frankly, just exactly what they've been able to pull off here. I mean, the fact that we have gotten to a point now where we just kind of, you know, we see zero positive tests and we're like, okay, great, let's play the game. I mean, that wasn't the feeling that we had going into the return to play. I mean, I, I kind of feared the worst and I thought, well, you know, what happens if you have a bit of an outbreak? What happens if this team's got a couple of key players that test positive? Will you have to slow things down a little bit? Will you have to shut down for a week until we can control the activity? Uh, I don't know. It just is amazing to me uh, how they were able to pull this off. And they're not quite there yet, as the commissioner said a couple of days ago. Hey, so far, so good. But they're just about at the finish line. They're just about to accomplish the goal that we thought might have been unthinkable, somewhat miraculous, in fact, that they're going to recognize a champion for 2019-2020 with all that that entails. Uh, it's going to be euphoria for the team that wins. It'll be just devastating potentially for the team that loses to know that they've come this far, two months in a bubble, and then maybe not to win the grand prize. Uh, I just think from a league standpoint, from a players association standpoint, uh, this is going to be, once they get through that ticker tape at the end, uh, I think that once they get through that, they'll recognize that this is going to be one of the greatest accomplishments in 100 plus years of this league's existence that they've been able to pull off. I want to get back to that because what does that mean for next year? I think for this year, it made sense, but next year is a different animal completely. But, Scotty, I want to get to another topic, and this just came in. Apparently, according to Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, John Cooper said, Steven Stamkos is inching closer when asked if he'll take warm-ups for Game <laughs> 3 tonight. Scotty, I think if you would have asked me before this series or even before the playoffs if Stamkos would play, I would have said, hmm, Probably unlikely. I was on a, uh, a talk show yesterday, and I said 50-50 now. What do you make of Stamkos coming back, and do you still feel like this is a pretty amazing accomplishment that the Tampa Bay Lightning have gotten this far without their captain? I think it's amazing that they've gotten this far without their captain, too, and I think you compare it to Dallas, and the fact that the Stars are in the Stanley Cup final, three victories away from hoisting the Cup for the first time since 99, is amazing when you know that their number 91, Tyler Sagan, who's been playing and is playing more than any other Stars forward at this point, has only got two postseason goals. Uh, the Stamkos thing's interesting because it seems like John kind of says the same thing every day. Uh, he knows he's kind of got that, that card in the back of his pocket that may come out at any time. He wants to have Dallas thinking about the fact that 91 could walk through that door and suit up in game action uh, as early as tonight. Uh, so, yeah, there's been a lot going on. seems like he's been inching closer for a while. 
Uh, Rick Bonus, I think, is kind of trying to prepare his team for the fact that Stamkos might play a part before this is all said and done, saying, yeah, we fully expect he'll be back, and you know, we're going to roll it and try to play our game. So will he or won't he question when it comes to Steven Stamkos has been always a topic, I think, here too. And you know, just as a neutral hockey fan here watching this series, I said it earlier, and I stand by it, I hope he gets to play in at least one game because, you know, should the Lightning break through to win their first cup since 2004, should they get to that top of the mountain, uh, I would hope that he would play a part in at least one game because he deserves to be that guy that has that moniker removed from his title of, you know, the best active NHLer who have not won a Stanley Cup with all of his career accomplishments. I hope that before it's said and done, he can at least get into game action and feel like he supplied a little bit of something if, in fact, Tampa Bay should go on to win. The Stamkos question leads into my next question to you, which kind of dovetails back to a question John Cooper was asked yesterday in his press conference. I don't know if you saw it, Scott, but he was asked. It was actually from from Owen, who works on the Dallas Stars radio network. It was a great question asking about the cat-and-mouse game that may go on between teams in a playoff series relating to special teams and how one team might make an adjustment on the power play, may have some success, and then the other team is going to react to that moving forward in the series. And kind of do you have to keep kind of the unit fresh in terms of the look that you throw at the other team? Because you are in a series. You're not playing a game and then leaving town and and going to the next city like you would in the regular season. And the Lightning had a different look to their power play for game two, and they scored two goals. What level of adjustment do you think is going to be taking place, not only for the Stars against the Lightning power play, but also the Lightning against the Stars power play that has looked pretty dangerous so far in the series, moving forward in this series, whether we see Stamkos or not? Well, that's a good question, Dave. I, I, I mean, the interesting thing is, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier today, Mike Johnson and I talked about it a short time ago, in the fact that, you know, there's, there's maybe perhaps less pressure on Tampa to bring Stamkos back tonight just because they won in the last game. And not only did they win the last game, but they got the two power play goals as well in the first period that got them off and running and, of course, able to hang on for victory over the final 40 minutes or so. So if recency bias comes into play here, you're thinking, well, Tampa Bay's power play, which as John Cooper pointed out yesterday, you guys heard it, you know, and you guys have experienced it, it can be very, very streaky. So maybe they're about to go on a bit of a run here, uh, again, putting the fourth forward on the ice maybe supplied some instant dividends to them a couple of nights ago. Uh, so maybe that gives them a little bit more uh, wherewithal in terms of being able to get the job done if Stamkos is not going to play, because when he comes back, he's presumably going to play power play minutes and maybe the odd shift here or there as a depth-type player, you would think, after having not played for about six months or so. So uh, it, it is a real cat-and-mouse game in terms of adjusting to a power play and killing penalties and such. And you know, we've seen guys on Dallas like Andrew Cogliano, who certainly, with his speed, still supply a little bit of something to it. And as we know, when you face the Dallas Stars and you talk about their power play, it probably starts at the point, and you talk about guys like Klingberg and Haskinen that are going to really drive the engine for the Dallas Stars. Their offense is generated from those two blue liners in particular, and I think then it filters on up front uh, for what they can get from the forward core. So, look, special teams, as you guys know, and covering this game for so many years now, really sometimes tell the tale as to who wins and who loses. And if you're just going by the most recent game, you'd have to say that Tampa Bay started to feel pretty good about itself. 
Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Scott, Game 3 tonight, the Stars want to be extremely physical with the Lightning. Is that the only chance the Stars have of winning this series, make it a street fight? I think Tampa Bay is the more talented team, but what do you make of what the Stars are trying to do, and will it be enough to win three more games? It could be. It could be. I, I, I like I like the Stars' makeup. Uh, I think any team that's got Corey Perry on it, uh, as we've seen so far, uh, is always going to be in there disturbing to a certain extent. Uh, I think the key for Dallas is to play physically, yes, to try to slow the speedy lightning down. But the key for Dallas is going to be staying under the penalty box. I mean, we saw a bit of a carryover going back to game one in that third period where they took a couple of penalties. And that maybe from a Dallas standpoint, you know, had them sort of, you know, on the edge of their seats as to whether or not they could hold on for that victory. Uh, so I think the key for them is to stay out of the penalty box because that third period of game one into the first period of game number two a couple of nights ago looked to be the same sort of thing. Now, they got away with it in game number one. In game two, the Lightning put a couple of power play goals, jump out to that 3 nothing lead, and you're wondering whether or not you're going to see Anton Hudobin come out to start the second period of play. So I think if I'm Rick Bonus, I'm probably telling you know my team before the game, guys, we do want to be physical. Obviously, we've got to stand up to these guys physically, try to slow them down a little bit. Uh, take away the neutral zone uh, and, and that sort of thing and, and, and try to, you know, obviously prevent transitionary offense from Tampa Bay as we know the Lightning are one of the best teams in the league at generating that sort of thing. Uh, but I think the key for Dallas is to play physically but stay out of the penalty box because getting back to what we talked about a couple of minutes ago, the reality is is that Tampa Bay's power play looked pretty good uh, with or without Stamposkos tonight for that game, uh, again, if they are going to be streaky, I mean, this could be something that decides the series. So discipline will be key for both teams, especially the Stars, I think, tonight. I think John Cooper mentioned that both teams are dealing with bumps and bruises, and that's typical. I mean, if you get to the Stanley Cup final, most of your roster is going to be dealing with something, but they're they're finding a way to play through it. I'm just curious, because one of the unique parts – of this very unique playoff was that the players got a four-month break before the restart. In addition to the fact that there is no travel to speak of in this playoff year because they're in the bubble. But on the other hand, it's still playoff hockey, right? And they have to go through four rounds, and we are seeing some wear and tear. Do you feel that this year is a little different in that the layoff has helped some of these players endure a long playoff run? You, you talk about the, the, the layoff and, you know, all that that entailed and try to get the – again and, you know, having that time off. Uh, it is still a grind. It's still the playoffs, but it did have the – we saw players like Stamkos try to come back and then have a setback. We saw a guy like Tarasenko jump in out long-term again for the St. Louis Blues. So uh, there are guys that came into it even coming off a long layoff with bumps and bruises, and you pick up things along the way, as we know, uh, when you're playing every second night, and in this case now, unusually, you're playing three games in the next four nights with a up on, on Friday into Saturday, uh, it still becomes a battle of attrition. And as we know, whether it's in a bubble or whether it's in the arena, under regular circumstances with fans in the stands intensifying the situation tenfold, a battle of attrition and there is a certain level of hockey that you get to 
because you know that the prize in this case is in the building now uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars. There's a lot on the line from that perspective. You have the opportunity for these players, you know, to live out the, the lifelong dream of winning a Stanley Cup. So uh, I think that the energy level has been ratcheted up. If you look at games being played now as compared to earlier in the return to play, uh, certainly going back to the end of the regular season as unexpected as it was at that time, uh, there's just a different energy level here too, and the physicality has turned up tenfold as well. So uh, not surprising that this has turned out to be the usual battle of attrition, with or without fans, in a bubble or not. Uh, it is Stanley Cup playoff time, and there is a certain prize to play for here that will go to the winner. Uh, of the the series and the team that can win the next uh, three games perhaps or at least win four when it's all said and done. Scott, who needs their first line to perform the best in this series? The point line or the second line? Boy, that's a good question, Greg. That's a good question. Uh, Say, I would probably say that, I, I would say at this point that Tampa needs the point line still to do what they've done. I mean, Point and Kucherov are making Lightning franchise history by what they've done. Uh, of course, uh, has been really, really good in terms of goal scoring and what he's supplied. And on that power play a couple of nights ago as well in the 1-3-1 setup that they worked. Um, I, I think Dallas has somehow gotten by, as I said earlier, without pretty much any offensive contribution whatsoever from Tyler Sagan, which is shocking to me. And again, whether or not he's completely healthy, who knows, getting back to what we just mentioned a moment ago. So I think that they've been doing it without uh, Tyler Sagan. And for that matter, uh, I would say that, you know, you've had some unexpected heroes step up for the Stars in this series. And, you know, Gurianov is not completely out of left field. I mean, he's a 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League already at the young age he's at. But you look at guys like Hanley and Alexiak stepping up with the five postseason goals, and Dallas seems to be getting more, I think, from the guys that are a little bit more off the beaten path, a little bit more off the radar than maybe Tampa is at this point. And maybe it's as simple as we're just more familiar with the depth players of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and and nothing would shock us at this point. And I don't know that anybody even looks at Sorelli anymore as a depth player. I think he's a frontline star for this team. But uh, I think to answer your question, I think that Tampa needs to see Point continue to do what he's done. Uh, they're going to go as that top line goes. And Dallas is still somehow, some way, three wins away from winning the Stanley Cup without really anything from Tyler Sagan. Let's look ahead, Scott. And before the season starts next year, we are going to have the draft and then free agency. And I think a lot of people who cover the sport expect, based on the flat cap, and teams may be feeling a financial crunch, not only due to the cap, but also due to the loss of ticket revenue from this past season in, in the games that were missed, that it may be a tough year for UFAs to, to fetch high-end contracts. I guess we'll see. What do you think about both UFAs and RFAs? And I ask that question because the Lightning have three guys who are coming out of their entry-level deal that need new contracts. Sorelli, a guy you just mentioned, Sergachev. And Chernak, do you think because they are RFAs or RFAs in general are not getting bids theoretically from 30 other teams that the crunch may affect them less? Or do you think across the board it's it's maybe not the best offseason to be a free agent? Yeah, I think they've restricted free agents are going to go with the proverbial bridge contract at this point. I think swinging for the fences is kind of uh, out of reach for the RFAs at least. As for the UFAs, I mean, look, the Blues are, are indicating that Petrangelo at this point is going to test the market. They may trade his rights before we even get to October 9th. 
Uh, I think there's going to be a number of suitors certainly in line for the captain of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I think for the great players, I think they're going to get paid. Uh, I don't know whether or not they'll get the full seven-year term or the full eight-year term under the collective bargaining guidelines that they have to work from within. But I do think that there are going to be places for these stars to land. And somehow, some way, that'll be on the general managers and capologists for all these teams to try to work out the mathematical problems that will result in going out and potentially signing a guy like Taylor Hall or a guy like Braden Holpe or a guy certainly like Petrangelo. Uh, I think somehow, some way, they're going to have to make it work. Uh, again, seven- and eight-year terms probably off the table. I think it would surprise me if that happened, uh, even for somebody like Petrangelo. Uh, but I do think that four- or five-year deals with a fair amount of significant money allocated will work out. But in order to bring in a guy, you may have to lose a player or two as well. And that's where you know the guys that are smarter than I am certainly start to earn their money because they're going to have to somehow fit all these puzzle pieces into place uh, for their team to take the ice next season. Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio joins us here on Lightning Power Play. Scott, to that point, will the owners agree to an upcoming season if tickets aren't sold? Revenue is king, as we know. The league and teams lost a ton of revenue this year. Even at 50% capacity, I'm not sure they would agree to come back. What do you make of that situation heading into next year? Well, I think they probably would. Uh, it depends what the circumstances are like. If that's the only other option to, to play, you know, in a 50% barn or to not play at all, they'll probably play within a 50% barn. Hopefully we're far enough along where we can entertain something like that. But, you know, you're right, Greg. I mean, a lot of this league is based upon, you know, gate revenues and people buying tickets and putting their butts in the seats and things of that nature, buying concessions, paying for parking and all that that entails. Uh, you know, but at the same time, and I think that we've seen this in the return to play and just how important it's been, you still have to adhere to TV contracts and you want to uh, adhere to those deals and you want to make sure that you're playing games uh, so that you can continue to market your league and your game. Uh, that has certain different ramifications in terms of buying merchandise and sweaters and, and things of that nature, along with a number of other uh, impacts that it'll make. It'll grow the revenue for the league and for the Players Association to play, even if it has been here in the bubble for the past couple of months. So uh, I think they realize that playing games, even if they are in a worst-case scenario in empty barns, will still help out in terms of TV contracts and revenue generated from that sort of thing, advertising for the stations who paid so much to carry these games to begin with. It's got a real trickle-down effect just to be able to play games. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, ideally, we'd like to have people in the stands. If it's not the full 18,000 every night, maybe you get half of that uh, into a stadium or an arena. We've seen that in the NFL with what they've done. Certain areas have opened up their doors. Others still a little bit hesitant to do so. Uh, we're just hoping, and I think that the league is hoping, that once we get to December and perhaps even into January, that things become a little bit clearer in terms of providing some information and detail as to whether or not they can pull that off. Scotty, you referenced the issues with crossing the border to Canada and the quarantine requirement that has forced the Blue Jays to play in Buffalo, and you mentioned the the problems that may be on the horizon for the Raptors and the NBA but you talked about the seven Canadian teams in the NHL, and they may have to, to do a division just amongst those teams until the situation changes. But I'm wondering about the other teams, the U.S. teams. Do you think we will see some sort of regional, divisional schedule? So you have 
when I say reduce travel, it's not that you're not playing as many road games, but you're not having to travel as far or to as many cities for the teams. Do you think that that's a, a feasible scenario where you're going to see kind of these small pockets where those teams just play each other, uh, at least until the situation changes substantially in terms of the, the pandemic? No, Dave, that's one of the best ideas that I've heard. Uh, that's one of the best options that they may have to, to be facing here down the road. I mean, if the border is not open, uh, then you have to go to Plan B. And Plan B, I would think, would be for the seven Canadian teams to get into a you know so-called Canadian division to play a Canadianized schedule. And then you're hoping that you know maybe after you play, I don't know, 30 or 35 games, which would almost make up half your schedule anyway, that maybe by that point you buy yourself a further couple of months uh, to get towards, A, the border opening up, and B, perhaps fans being allowed back into the arenas by that point, too. So uh, that's as good an idea as I've heard. Uh, because right now, I mean, yeah, we've seen the Blue Jays move down to Buffalo. Toronto FC in Major League Soccer is playing the rest of its schedule out of Connecticut, out of the Hartford area. Uh, the Raptors, as you mentioned, Dave, may have to look at that with the NBA schedule starting sometime in January. Uh, we, we hope that by that point, again, maybe the borders opened up and things get freed up a little bit. I'm sure the league's hoping for that uh, before Steve Hatsopetros and the guys at the league put that schedule together. Uh, but I think that's, that's as good a, an idea as I've heard. Uh, as for the U.S. pockets, I think that would make sense as well. Why not try to limit travel, maybe put four, five, six teams into a, a, a bit of a makeshift division. Uh, again, they could play 30 or 35 games, nearly half the schedule against one another, and then by that point hopefully open it up. Uh, to, to these sorts of things. It's almost like playing a, a college football schedule that's in conference and all of a sudden you're playing other conference games and uh, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, these ideas I think are ones that, that have to be dealt with, I think that have to be entertained as we look towards 2021. Scott, do you think there will be any chance there is no season in 2021 that if fans in the stands come can't come back to near full capacity and let's say the vaccine situation is still up in the air although unlikely is there any chance that the league punts and says we can't afford to open up the season and then shut it down again and while the bubble scenario is nice we've also heard from players that it was tough this year for sure and not exactly conducive to an 82 game regular season schedule I guess you could say there's always a chance, but is it a better than 15% chance or 10% chance that Gary Bettman would look at it and say, nah, if we can't have fans in the stands, I don't care at what capacity, we may have to punt on next year. Well, it's an interesting question, Greg. And I, I know that you guys have probably seen the ESPN column uh, that was put together where they talked to nine players who were in the bubble, five from one conference, four from another, and fired a bunch of questions at them as to what life was like behind the bubble and whether it was advertised as such and, and, and did they get everything that they thought that they were going to get and, you know, just being around other, other players and hotels and such. And, you know, I said today, I, I said on the air, I just wonder, because my first question to a lot of these guys would be, looking back on it now, having gone through what you went through for a couple of months, what, was it all worth it? Would you do it again? Would you entertain an idea of going into a bubble again for a couple of months, being away from your family, having certain amenities, but certainly not being a part of you know, regular society life as we know it? Would you go through the process again? Uh, I, I think that that would be a question that players would have. And, and, and my answer probably would be, uh, if I was a player, well, at times perhaps it wasn't perfect, 
I think when you look at the big picture, the big picture is growing the revenues of the game back up. And, you know, in order to grow the revenues of the game, even if you are playing within a bubble in empty arenas, per se, uh, I still think that you are playing, you are generating revenue, whether it's just through the TV contract commitments and advertising and, and different things that are, again, ramifications of actually playing games uh, and, and being televised. I think it's still worth it because, as we know, this is going to be a long, long process to try to grow this back and do a $4 billion a year business. Uh, they're a long ways off from that right now, clearly, uh, by virtue of what has been presented uh, since the middle of March. So it's going to take a long, long time to grow it back to where it was before, but I think that you need to play games. It's imperative to play them in any way, shape, or form, even going back into a bubble for a couple of months if you have to. That's probably a last-ditch resort at this point. It's probably plan, plan F, uh, quite frankly. Uh, there are many other ways to go about it, hopefully before we get to that point, but I just think it's, it's important and integral for this league to continue on playing games in any way, shape, or form for them to try to grow the revenues back up for both the league and the Players Association. We did actually talk about that ESPN article in our first segment, Scott, and one of the things that struck me, a lot of things struck me. I thought it was really uh, a well-done piece and, and very enlightening and informative, but one of the things that, that stuck with me after I read it was this weird scenario of being in the same living space as the opposition in a playoff series and how players were like riding the elevator with a guy on the other team and they try not to make eye contact and just the players talking about how strange it was. Were there any moments like that when you read that article that kind of stuck with you after you finished it and you're like, goodness, that was really unusual and strange. Well, a lot of the players, I think, Dave, when they arrived, I mean, it sounded like by what they were saying that they were kind of taken aback by just how secluded the hotel was made out to be, right? Like with the fencing around to keep the, the general public out from where the players are at, like a bit of a compound setup kind of made it a yeah. little bit eerie for them when they first got there. Uh, they also talked about different things that they thought that they would have available to them, ways that they could kill time. Hey, we're going to be doing some golfing and – Meantime, apparently there weren't many rounds of golf that were actually played. Uh, the guys out in Edmonton, hey, fly fishing apparently is great. Look at these pamphlets they're sending out and these great pictures from fly fishing. A bunch of us can go fishing one day. Well, then they found out that in order to go fly fishing, you had to travel three hours away from where the compound was at uh, and where they were hunkering on down uh, within the bubble itself too. So just so many different things that they had to adjust to. Another one was... You know, some teams had certain things that were provided to them by their yeah. respective clubs as compared to others, like the Panthers apparently didn't have, you know, as, as good a meal plan as maybe Montreal did, and the Canadians were taking care of their players that way too. So you're trying to compare, you know, look, look what we have as compared to what that other team has, and uh, it's just an unusual situation. And I, like I said, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the players in the league realized that they wanted to hand out the Stanley Cup at some point. Somebody was going to take home the biggest prize uh, in the sport, and I think that they realized that there were going to be some sacrifices that were made along the way, and that's not just for the players. It's for the league personnel who've been there for months. It's for people that have worked on the television and radio sides of things that are actually in the bubble uh, itself. They've been away from their families for months, too, so... Uh, just a huge amount of sacrifice going on here to try to pull this off. And, you know, getting back to what I said earlier, I think that when you when you look back on this years from now, you'll say, boy, that was impressive what the NHL threw together in a relatively short period of time to recognize a champion for 19 and 20. 
Scott, before we let you go, what do you make of tonight? And uh, what do you make of the series? Who do you like? I picked Dallas in seven, guys. I know that's not quite the thing to say here on Lightning Power Play, but I, I did pick Dallas in seven to start the series. I think we are looking at the full seven games. Uh, I'm also amazed, too, Greg, and I made this observation a little bit earlier in the fact that this playoff season, for what it is, uh, just seems to me to, to, to be a, a season and a, and a series already that we've seen so many momentum swings from one period to the next. I mean, we saw Tampa Bay outshoot. Dallas 14 to six in the first period, score the three goals, uh, going back to game number two, and all of a sudden it was like the script was flipped in, in period number two, and, and Rick Bonus had his team ready to go, and they responded by shooting Lightning 18 to five, and then of course Dallas trying to carry that through to the third period to make it really really interesting at the end, perhaps a little too close for comfort for the Lightning fans down there, uh, but I've just been amazed at at how things can change so quickly within one period to the next. Uh, we always talk about momentum not carrying over from one game to the next when it comes to playoff time. Uh, I've just seen, you know, momentum shifts within a game itself from one period to the next. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that continue tonight. I think the intensity level, the bite to the series will continue. It might be a little chippy at times. But as I said earlier, special teams could be the difference. Tampa Bay may be starting to heat up. They're hoping that an 0-14 skid on the power play is now uh, far back in their rearview mirror. Maybe they can get on a run here with the men advantage. And for Dallas, first and foremost, be a little bit more disciplined. Give yourselves a chance to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning when it comes to even strength and five-on-five situations. Well, Scott, because of that prediction, this will be the last time you're on Power Lunch. On <laughs> no, no, no. Right we welcome joking. all voices and all opinions on we this We love program. it, Scott. Don't we listen love having to you it. on. No, we love having Scott on. And uh, look, there are a lot of people that feel that way. And if it goes seven, yeah, I mean, who knows what the heck happens in something like that. Scotty, as always, uh, appreciate the time. Why don't you give a plug for your show? Let people know where they can check your work out at. Yeah, every weekday morning we're on from 7 o'clock Eastern to 11 o'clock Eastern time. I join in with Gord Stellick and the guys at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and then Gord leaves around 10, and I take over and host with Mike Johnson for an hour as well, and Mike's out there now in the bubble in Edmonton. So that will continue here uh, throughout the rest of the postseason, however long it does last. And, Greg, it's always a pleasure being on with you. And, uh, Dave, please say hi to my good friend Espo for me if you could. I will. Thank you, Scotty. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, All right. That is Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, a couple of tweets coming in. want to read those as we get you set for Game 3 tonight, and we'll give you some closing thoughts. Anything that Scott had to say is fair game. If you want to discuss with us, you can do that at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Mishkin. I am Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. So glad that Scott Lachlan was able to join us. Again, check out his work on Sirius XM NHL Radio. You can listen to Scott, and then, of course, you can tune us on right at noon every day for you. Heading into these playoffs, during these playoffs, after the playoffs, Lightning Power plays your home for the most complete Lightning coverage. Greg Linelli, along with Dave Mishkin, and uh, let's go to some sound from earlier today. The Lightning spoke to the media. Here's a soundbite on Lightning Radio. Hey, John, I'm going to take my shot on. Will Steven Stamkos take warm-ups tonight? And, and if he is able to play at some point, what does he do for you guys? 
Uh, yeah, he's inching closer. Um, he, well, he's a threat. So he's just another thing for a team to think about uh, when he's out there. So um, whether that's on the power player five on five, um, you know, you get another player that you know, when the puck gets on a stick in the offensive zone, it might go in the net. So, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, especially in a game where it's a series where, you know, just goals are at a premium. So, um, you know, it comes back and his timing and there's a lot of things that have to go into this beforehand, but he's, uh, it's getting closer. Inching closer. Dave, it leaves us in suspense. What does that mean? Inching yeah, how closer. Many, how close? Right? How many inches did he have to go when he started inching <laughs> that's a closer? Great, that's a great question, and um, it should be asked. But, um, you know, what can you do? I, I get that. I mean, he's, he's towing a fine line right there. We know how. Yeah. I mean, you have to ask the question if you're in the media. I know sometimes coaches don't like that. But you're in the Stanley Cup final. You're talking about the captain of the Tampa Bay Lightning. You need to ask those questions basically every day. I know that can be annoying for coaches, but it, it's just something you have to do because the fans want to know Dave as well. What's his status? And uh, John Cooper, I think, doing the best he can uh, without you know being totally annoyed regarding the question. Uh, Dave, this question came in from Brandon, probably more of an observation. Curious what you think, because John Cooper has talked about not chasing more goals when you get up by a certain amount. But Brandon says, not the regular season where three goals equals a win. Need to keep imposing our will and keep the pressure on. Go Bolts. I would just say this. I do think this is a different team from the standpoint that, Dave, I don't know if they have to get that fourth goal in order to feel secure enough to win. In other words, maybe in years past, the Lightning needed to get a fourth goal because they were going to give up three. I think this year we have seen Tampa Bay, if they get three, you feel pretty confident they're not going to give up more than two. And that's probably the mindset they have going into a game where they have the lead. It really is the mindset. You use the exact right term. So... If you do have a 3 nothing lead, are you going to try and win the game 8 nothing? Because you don't need to win the game 8 nothing. But if you're playing the right way and you are defending well and managing the puck well, you may get some other opportunities to, to score some goals. And if you can play with the puck in the offensive zone, that is not only a way to score more goals, it's also a way to prevent the other team from from going on the attack, assuming that you are not making high-risk plays with the puck in the offensive zone. So that's where I would distinguish between how the Lightning are trying to handle it when they get a lead as opposed to, say, game one in the Columbus series last year, which is the one game we keep going back to because it's such a stark example of how the Lightning up 3 nothing kind of took that riverboat gambling approach to try and score more and gave up a breakaway as a result that Columbus converted to make it 3-1. And, and that was really the play that started the dominoes falling and allowing Columbus to get back in the game. But by no means do I think when the Lightning, like in game two, they they went up 3-0 and they said on the bench, okay, we're done now. We don't need to, we don't need to score anymore. Let's just rope-a-dope it for the final 40 minutes no that's not the approach the approach is 
let's make sure we're managing the puck. Let's make sure we're getting to the red line, getting pucks in deep. Let's try and play with the puck in the offensive zone. Let's not make any high-risk plays where we're sacrificing defense for offense, but let's try and keep scoring for sure. And they almost did. I mean, Paquette hit the post in the second period. Maroon had a breakaway in the second period. Even in the first period, the Lightning had four dangerous shots of varying degrees dangerous, but they were still, I would term, dangerous after they made it 3 nothing, Coleman and Goodrow back-to-back, and then Maroon and Palat wide open in front of the net. So it's not like they, they just turned off the ignition on trying to score. It's how are you approaching the game so that yeah, you can add to your lead, but don't do it at the expense of, of letting the other team back in the game. It makes a lot of sense, and it's something that John Cooper has preached about all year, and I think it's really set in for the team. Dave, some closing thoughts on tonight. Uh, as I've said before, I, I, I take sometimes a more simplistic approach when it comes to evaluating both of these teams. If I see the Lightning's first line perform in game three, the way they did in game two, in addition to other factors playing in outside of be taking less penalties in the second period. I like their chances tonight. Are there going to be some adjustments made on both sides? Yes. But if Tampa Bay plays as close as they did to game two, I really like their chances of winning tonight. Things can change, but what say you for game three tonight at eight o'clock? Well, you know I'm not in the prediction business, so I won't go down that road. All right, Dave, come on. Well, I will say this because you use the word if, if they play like they did in game two. I do think they give themselves an excellent chance to win if they can play as well as they did in game two. But I am very curious to see both teams' power plays. Will the Lightning keep – first of all, will Stamkos play? So if Stamkos plays, that will definitely change the look of the power play. But if he does not play – Do the Lightning keep the same formation on that top power play unit? Will Dallas make any adjustments? Rick Bonus said after game two, specifically about the Palat goal, we knew that seam pass was coming. That's on us. Fair enough. And and he knows this power play well. (laughs) Rick Bonus saw it firsthand for several years with – Many of the same players, I mean, he was with the Lightning for five years, but certainly the last few years, the power play has looked very similar to how it looks now. He knows it well. He had his team prepped on penalty kill for what Kucherov specifically can do. But it's one thing to be prepared, and then it's another thing to execute. And why did the Stars fail to take away the seam pass? Because Kucherov was was so dazzling in his ability to sell one thing and then do something else. I think we broke this down yesterday. Kalorn gets open early on the second power play, a chance in front. Now the Stars have to react to him. That opens up point. Kucherov gets it to point. He scores. Now you got to worry about point. Well, that might open up a cross-ice pass for Palat. So it's one thing to say, yeah, they like the seam pass, but you got other guys on the ice you need to worry about which is why ultimately the goalie is your best penalty killer because the penalty killers in front of that goalie can game plan and try and take away as many options as possible. And if they have a chance to get it down the ice, they got to do it. If they have a face-off, an opportunity to win the draw and clear it, they got to do it. If you can prevent the other team from getting back in the offensive zone to set up, you do it. But ultimately, when that power play unit is set up in the offensive zone, They do have an extra guy. 
and really skilled players can make plays to isolate that extra player eventually. Maybe it's one pass. Maybe it's two passes. Maybe it's three passes. But then it comes down to it's on the goalie. Like the goalie has to bail his penalty kill unit out if there is a breakdown. So how will the Stars handle the Lightning's power play and will they do a better job in game three, at least in their minds in terms of how they executed, than they did in game two? But the Lightning are also capable of making plays, particularly Kucherov, understanding he can sell one thing and then do something else. And then on the other side, I think Dallas's power plays are really good in this series so far. They had seven shots on two power play chances in game one, a couple of really good chances, and they got hot uh, at the end of, of the second period. They scored on their fourth chance, and their fifth chance was super dangerous. So we'll see if the Lightning can make some adjustments to alleviate some of the pressure. I think winning more face-offs on penalty kill would help. The Stars have been very good on power play face-offs, which has allowed Dallas to start with possession and move it around. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds. And, of course, we may come back tomorrow and you might say, well, Dave, you talked about special teams and each team only had one power play. And that was it. And we may get a game like that. Right. But if there's if there's more than one power play for each side, or even if there is only one, let's see how those units react now that we're into game three of a series where both teams have had a chance to experience what it's like killing a penalty against that other team's units and then making adjustments as well in terms of going over the video after you have played a game in the series. Dave, great stuff. Look forward to the call and speaking to you during the pregame. All right, Greg. Talk to you then. All right, Dave Mishkin there. Thanks to Steve Ersnick, as always, and thanks to you for listening. Scott Lachlan, we always appreciate his expertise. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one, recapping game three, but don't forget... Festivities start at 7 o'clock with the pregame skate show. Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelio. 7.30, I'll be doing the pregame. You'll be hearing from a number of players and coaches. And then, of course, Dave Mishkin and the Hall of Famer Phil Esposito have the call for you. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy Game 3 tonight. You can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play.